0: Welcome to Root and Branch. I'm Anya Murray.
1: And I'm Brian MacGlenn.
0: This series is a homage to trees. In each episode, Brian and I explore the ecology, history and heritage of a native tree species. And Brian has also written songs especially based on what we've discovered about each tree. Today's episode is all about willow. Willow is a tree that we often overlook, but it's a generous and valuable tree in so many ways. I love seeing the little fluffy catkins emerge in early spring, like tiny silken kitten paws. In this episode, I'll be talking to Professor Jane Stout to find out what exactly a catkin is and why willow trees are so appealing to bees.
1: And because willow is what baskets are made from, we'll be heading to Loughnafooey in County Galway to meet the master basket maker, Joe Hogan, to hear about the basket-making tradition in Ireland and the willow he grows for his craft. As well as being used for making baskets, willow was traditionally used in Ireland for making harps, and so harpist Alana Thornberg features throughout this episode. Willow rods are often referred to as sally rods in Ireland, which comes from the Irish word for willow, salioch, rooted in the Latin word salix. There are countless references to sally gardens, weeping willow and willow trees in traditional songs and ballads. Maybe this is just because the words sing so well, but the tree has also been associated with grief and sadness for hundreds of years. In the 16th and 17th centuries, it became common practice for mourning or jilted lovers to wear a willow around their cap, and this crops up a lot in old ballads. One of the best of these ballads I've found is a song called Another Man's Wedding. In this song, a man goes to see his ex, whose name is Sally, marrying another man. Stricken with regret and lovesickness, sally falls ill and dies that night i'll sing the final verses of the song here that end with the young man promising to wear a willow cap forevermore
2: he lifted her rope from her soul And he carried her out to the garden so green And with sheets and fine pillows, oh, soon they did surround. Oh, lonely, sorry, sorry When you So around my hand. I will wear a weeping willow. All around my heart, until death it comes to me. And if anybody asks me why I. so for my true love I never
0: Willow grows in such a way that when its branches are cut, the tree responds by sending out a profusion of new woody shoots. For thousands of years, people have used these young pliable wands of willow to weave baskets with. Because willow can be cut over and over, always responding by sending up these new shoots, it can provide a continual harvest that's ideal for basket making. It's no wonder that woven willow baskets are among the earliest human artefacts.
1: Some years ago, while clearing out an old shed at my mother's home place on Arnmore Island, my parents came across some old baskets that my grandfather had made. They were turf baskets, or creels. And while the weaving had stood the test of time, the willow was full of woodworm and we couldn't keep them. My dad decided, there and then, that he would learn this craft so that he could carry on the tradition of basket making in our family making donkey creels would have been an essential skill in rural ireland only one or two generations ago woven creels were used for bringing turf home from the bog i imagine my grandfather learned to weave from a family member or neighbor on the island as a young man and i wonder what words and phrases they used to describe the process while the willow gently tapped out a rhythm as their hands moved, almost without thinking, through familiar weaves and patterns. Luckily, the tradition of basket-making is still very much alive in Ireland, and nowadays it's hard to mention basket-making without hearing the name Joe Hogan. Joe is a master basket-maker, based in Lucknafooey in County Galway, who has been growing willow, making and teaching the craft for over 40 years. He has written a number of seminal books on Irish basket making and has spent time as an artist in residence at the Irish Cultural Centre in Paris. Anya and I went to visit Joe at his home in Luchnafui to hear all about the rich tradition of willow basket making in Ireland.
3: a great job of that. All the dip would sag a little bit after putting them in, you know? (laughs) So we're here in Shanafarahon, which is uh, on the shores of Loch Nafui. It's a lovely, very scenic valley. Here the tradition would be where people would have had much smaller willow beds. So instead of say a few acres or something like that, people would have had maybe 30, 40 clumps of willow. And that would have been then your Gari Salih or your Sally garden. And that was usually the making of two creels per farm per year, you know, and that was kind of the minimum requirement here because everyone here used to use a donkey creel. So the creel is a very distinctive Irish basket where the rods are stuck into the ground and you do the weaving and then you fold the rods over to complete the basket uh, for bringing turf for mountain bogs and things like that. See, here, when we came living here, which was 78, the tradition of having a sally garden in your farm beside the house was still alive. I feel that that was probably true everywhere in a former time. Every townland one time or every farming community would have needed to have a basket baker.
1: So it sounds like there has always been kind of a strong
3: culture of people using willow in Ireland. Oh yes, it goes back, well I don't know how many hundreds of years but probably uh, Thousands of years, really. A well-made basket would probably have given 10, 15 years of use. So it made great sense to use them. And Tom Quinlan used to talk about uh, the test of a basket being that you could kick it down the road. So when I came here, I had not seen a creel, you know, the donkey creel. And so when Tommy showed me that, that was a whole opening up into another way of Mm. looking at baskets, a much older Indigenous tradition, which would have included things like lobster pots and things like that.
1: There's a man that I know up on Aranmore. He'd be a he'd be a friend of my mum and dad's. Mm. He'd be mm. in his like i say he's in his nineties now. Yeah. But he has a very unusual style, like, a, and I've noticed it before. It's very distinctive. Mm. Would there be
3: different regional styles
1: like that that would be all over Ireland?
3: Oh yeah, definitely. A Donegal creel is quite different from a Connemara creel. You can look at a creel and you could have a fairly good idea, at least you would have had, where, what region you're looking at. So it's a bit like if you look at, say, even the musical tradition, Donegal uh, fiddle playing is very different to clear fiddle playing. So, and you'll have very strong uh, views by some people about which is better. (laughs) But (laughs) the same kind of thing a little bit in basket making, you know, that there were um, very strong regional styles.
1: So, are you, a, are you a South Mayo
3: or a North Galway no, no. basket maker there? <laughs> I'm fairly good. I think at this stage it's so important to keep all of those traditions alive mm-hmm. because they're all valuable in their different ways. Absolutely. That's a, diplomatic That's a very answer. diplomatic answer. Yeah.
4: <laughs> yeah.
3: So, there was a guy out in Ross Row, which is about seven or eight miles the far side of Lena, and he was one of the last lobster pot makers. You know, lobster pot fishermen, they weren't making the baskets for anyone else. They were making them for themselves. So each lobster pot fisherman might have about twenty-eight, twenty-five 25 pots. That's what would fit comfortably in a corrup. You know, they'd have to replace maybe five or six each year. They'd make their own. Uh, not usually from very cultivated willow either, but what's called black sally, or in other words, a wild willow. And you would sometimes see broken rods in the pot. And I kind of... I must have been looking a bit critically at Festi's pot because he said, don't mind that, he says, it's far more important that it lasts in the water. And I suppose the lobsters didn't mind there was an odd broken rod. (laughs) (laughs) They weren't too critical. uh, No. Would you be using different kinds of willow for different things, for different baskets then? Absolutely. So if you were just making creels, the type of willow you'd be growing would be common osier or uh, ordinary sally rods as they're usually called or uh, salix viminalis. And the willow I grow mostly is Salex purpurea, purple osier. And that doesn't mean that it's purple in colour. It's that the catkins in spring are purple. So sometimes the naming can be a little bit um, confusing. So there's a lovely red willow down here and it's called Salix alba, which means white willow. But it means that the leaves in summer are white, you know, when you see them as a tree particularly. But if you look at most of the material waving in the wind down there, it's slightly finer, uh, and you probably can not see from here, but there would be various colours on the bark. So there's a red, there's a purple, and various things like that. And sometimes we'd use some of those colours to uh, decorative effect. This is a newly planted bit of willow here. I uh, said so that's only been planted two years, but you can see already that the rods are, um, you know, four or five foot, and this is August, so they'll probably make another foot or two before the winter. Um, So if you felt them now, they're quite soft. And what will tend to happen from now on is that the wood will harden, you know, and um, the leaf fall then will be October, November, and you can't harvest them until the leaf is off. So the old boys used to talk about the first moon in November, so that that would be the earliest time you could harvest your willow after the first moon of November. Um, But we often usually harvest late November or into uh, December.
0: Do you notice uh, much wildlife here?
3: Bird life, I suppose, is the thing you'd notice most in the willow itself. Anytime you will be working with willow, you will notice birds. Everyone is getting a bit more conscious of what we're losing in terms of diversity and all that kind of stuff because farming has got more uniform Um, but you can see here fields are still small scale and everything like that so there are more hedges and things like that than there would be in other regions. It's a very beautiful landscape too uh, with very friendly people. I feel that it's a landscape that uh, kind of nourishes you on some level you know.
1: Talk about how close a relationship we've had for centuries with willow. It's no wonder that this tree has developed such emotional meaning in songs and folklore, especially when it has a person's name like Sally. The variety of colours in willow alone are evocative, from bright yellows through to deep purples and reds. While willow has been inseparable from grief and mourning in many places, in Irish myths and folklore, It's appeared as wild, energetic and bright, qualities that I think are more similar to the wild willow native to Ireland. Mad King Sweeney built his nest in a willow tree, not a weeping mourning willow, but a bright wild one. Willow is closely associated with water, with the moon, with fertility and with life. I sometimes imagine the willow wading slowly into the lakes it often grows around, especially when small waves lap around its roots on the shore. To write a song for the willow then, I found myself drawn to the water's shore, to renewal, to love, to Mad King Sweeney, and to the wild bright Sally as I see it.
2: watch you wading into water ripples round the shore ca Only for the waking queen, strike the harp and watch you weave.
0: is happy growing in wet ground. They don't mind having their feet wet. That's why we see them along the edges of rivers, lakes and canals or in soggy, wet ground. We tend to be dismissive of willow as a short-lived scrubby tree of little value. But these are such wonderfully generous and valuable trees in so many ways. Willow trees harbour lots of insect life, from aphids and ants to caterpillars and moths. There are hundreds of different species of invertebrate who depend on willow for their daily sustenance. This, in turn, offers a plentiful supply of protein for bats and for birds, especially in the summer months when they're feeding their young. But willow really stands out most in early spring, when the fluffy little catkins dangle in clusters from willow trees laden with bright yellow pollen. Willows are unusual, in that they're pollinated both by the wind and by insects. The pollen and the nectar they produce is a crucial food source for early emerging bees, who need the sugar-rich nectar and the protein-rich pollen when very few plants are flowering, so food is in short supply for bees. Professor Jane Stout is a specialist in plant-animal interactions in the Botany Department of Trinity College, Dublin. Her work focuses on the interactions between plants and their pollinators. Jane, tell me, we're looking here at lots of different willow trees. There are so many different types of willow trees. Are you
5: much good at telling the difference between them? Not at all, unfortunately. I know that there are hundreds of species worldwide. And in Ireland, we have, um, I think it's about 12 species, but they hybridise. So you get lots of hybrids and different varieties, you know, that, that makes them very difficult botanically to distinguish from each other. So that's my excuse for not being a great expert at distinguishing them.
0: And one thing that the willow trees all have in common is that they erupt with these little fluffy catkins in spring. Can you
5: tell me, what is a catkin? So the catkins are the structures that hold the flowers for the willows. So willows have a really interesting floral biology in that the male and the female flowers are held on different plants. And the catkins, they're called catkins because it's from the old Dutch word for kitten, which is katechin. Um, And it's because the catkins look like cat's tails. So the flowers flowers themselves are quite small, but they're held together in these clusters, these catkins. Um, And the different species, depending on their... Uh, reliance on animal versus wind pollination have different size catkins so whereas we we generally when we think about willow we think about the catkins um, releasing the pollen into the air and the pollen being blown between the trees willows are also animal pollinated so their catkins contain nectar and that attracts insects, who then also transfer pollen between flowers, between the male and the female flowers. Um, so the pollen's a really important and nutritious food source for, for, for the next generation. Mm. And the nectar provides energy. It's like a, an energy drink for us. It's sugars. Mm. It's, it's, it's an immediate hit. It gives them the energy to fly around in the, the cool spring temperatures.
0: And are there lots of different types of bees in Ireland that would feed off willow trees?
5: There are. Willows are a really important early season resource for a whole range of different Mm. bee species. So we have 100 species of bee in Ireland. The the bumblebees, you often see bumblebees, the big, fat, furry, queen bumblebees that have just come out of hibernation in the spring. They will feed on the the pollen uh, and the nectar from the willows, but also honeybees. So if it's a nice warm day, the honeybees start coming out in early spring. They will also use willow and you, you find willow pollen in a lot of honey from all over the world. Um, But it's also really important for the solitary bee species. A solitary bee is a bee that doesn't live in a colony. It doesn't have a hive. Uh, So a single female will found a nest and she will gather pollen and she'll put a ball of pollen in her nest. She'll lay an egg and then she'll seal that nest up. And so the larva that hatches from the egg and the the new bee that grows from that egg uh, grows up by itself. So it's solitary.
0: And are there many different types of solitary bees native in Ireland?
5: Yeah, so most of our bees are actually solitary. So 78 native Irish bee species are solitary. Um, most of them nest in the ground. Um, some of them, maybe about a dozen of them, nest in cavities. So they're the ones that would nest in, in the bee hotels or the artificial you know, bee boxes that people put out for, for bees. But most of them actually nest in the ground.
0: Do we know when the bees emerge in early spring, that's when
5: the willow catkins are out as well? That's quite an amazing coincidence, isn't it? Well, I guess that's that's evolution, that's thousands of years of, of, um, of, of co-evolution. Yeah, the, that's one of the, the concerns and the worries about changing climates is that, that that mismatch of timing between the plants producing their flowers and the pollen and the, the animals emerging from hibernation or, or you know, Different bee species will emerge at different times of year, so it's not they don't all emerge at the same time as, as the willows and, and the catkins, mm. um, but some of them do. And those that do, some of them can actually be quite specialised on the willows. That is, that they they have a very fairly um, narrow diet. And so willow is a really important part of their diet. But others are real generalists and they'll visit whatever is is available. And if the catkins are there, they'll visit them. And if there's something else, they'll go to that. So it's a real, you know, as with all biodiversity, it's all about diversity. uh, And there's different species benefiting in different ways from different plants. It's incredible the the interaction that's involved between plants and their pollinators, because the plant needs the pollen to be moved from the male to the female. So the process of animal pollination has evolved because the advantages associated with attracting animals and having animals deliver that pollen outweigh the costs of those animals eating some of that pollen. So the um, the provision of nectar has evolved to try and lure the animals to the flowers. As they're collecting nectar, they get pollen on their bodies. They're not necessarily eating all that pollen, but they're getting pollen all over themselves. And as they move to the next flower, they transfer that pollen. So different plants have evolved different strategies for getting the visitors uh, and for for encouraging them to, to move on again and bring the pollen with them.
0: And there's a lot of interest in bees and pollinators lately, and people think of the different types of plants they might be able to put in their garden to support pollinators but trees are really important sources of nectar and pollen as well aren't they
5: they are indeed and and you know we quite often forget to look up when we're thinking about what to plant for pollinators and you know because we can't see all of the insects in trees we sometimes forget about them but you know even if if you look at a, a horse chestnut when it's flowering those 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 big flowers uh, there was covered in bees and, and willows of course buzzing with bees in the spring
0: And how does this link in then with the other things in the ecosystem, like maybe the birds that we would associate with living in trees?
5: Absolutely. So the insects feed on the the flowers, they get their nectar and pollen, they grow, you know, make their own offspring, create new insects. And that's really important for supporting the bird populations. We tend to get focused on individual parts of nature and forget that they're all connected to one another um, and so you know if the insects aren't getting food then you, you, they're not food for birds and of course lots of insects do lots of other things as well as pollinating you know so this whole web of life is, is occurring and we, we tend to as humans we tend to fixate on one aspect or another when we need to think about it, the whole system.
0: describes the relationship between plant and animal as having been honed over tens of thousands of years. The bees think they've gotten lucky when they find a willow tree full of flowering catkins in spring. But in fact, the bees are doing the bidding of the willow trees who make the tasty nectar as a lure just when the bees are needed to disperse the pollen. This is very much a reciprocal relationship. Our human relationship with willow is also a reciprocal one, honed over thousands of years. We get willow wands to weave baskets with, and in return the willow earns itself a place around our homes and gardens. And willow has a big role in healing our relationship with nature too, in ecological restoration, as willow is now widely used for biofiltration, filtering water in wastewater treatment systems, and for stabilising riverbanks against erosion. This is a tree with so much to offer, not only in the past, but for the future.
1: This brings me back to something Joe mentioned about our sense of place in the world and the nests he has been weaving out of willow and heather in recent years.
3: So I've been making a lot of nests in the last two or three years it's become a kind of another side project if you like nests for uh they're not really useful but they're i suppose to kind of evoke the life of birds but also maybe to reference a little bit about belonging in the world which i think is one of the things that we as a modern kind of culture are losing and losing very quickly that kind of natural sense of belonging in the world so it's partly about that
1: Pollinators and birds understand the nature of reciprocal relationships and people like Joe have a strong sense of this too. If we're to heal our connection with the natural world, we must rethink our place in the world and our relationship with trees. Willow has given us so much and has so much still to offer. The wild, bright Sally has all we need to find our way back to where we belong.